Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. I'm really excited to have Kim Levinsky on the show today. Kim is the director the head of Sasquad Trail Running, a really interesting uh, events company putting on unbelievable trail parties, as they call them. Um, you might call them races. They call them trail parties uh, once a month in the New York in New Jersey area. And I couldn't wait to talk to her because she had a really interesting conversion from dual sport college athlete to then kind of easing into running and then easing into trail running. I shouldn't say easing. Like she got into running and then Basically went full throttle from then on, uh, and it's been a remarkable thing. So all of a sudden she went from, hey, I don't really run, to all of a sudden a year after start after her first half marathon, competing in a 50 miler. And now she's done the, the Tahoe 200, and she has done, oh my God, just amazing things. And I couldn't wait to talk to her, not only about her running journey, but also you know creating a um, an events company, a running events company out of whole cloth and what that's like and just everything around it. I love the business of running. So we talked about that at the end, but we'd spend a lot of time talking about her own journey, which is extremely interesting. So we're going to get into that as well. Big shout outs to our sponsors today, Lagoon Pillows, which I love. I sleep on it every night. It's making my sleep so nice. And a new sponsor here, Vacation Races with some unbelievable global adventures that I can't wait to talk to, talk to you about in the ad for them. Uh, two great companies that I'm so honored to have here uh, on the show and sponsoring and, uh, and helping the show. So if you want to help the show, Go check them out uh, for sure. So uh, links to all of them are in the show notes. You also can save some cash while you're there. Thank you so much. Now let's get into it with Kim Levinsky. Kim Levinsky, welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. How you doing? I'm so excited to see you again. I saw you very recently down to the South Mountain Reservation down in West Orange, New Jersey for my first ultra marathon. And you are the race director for Sasquatch Trail Running. Is that the correct the correct title for you? It seems like you're also, you could have like a million titles considering all the jobs and all the hats you wear for Sasquatch. But what is your official title? Official title, we'll say trail party director. Trail party director. We should say that. That's a, I just made a serious faux pas in the Sasquatch world. So I appreciate you, <laughs> you correcting there because, and tell me, I guess, well, I guess we'll start there. Yeah, I was going to start with some of your, your own athletic history, but let's just dive right into this. You just, you just corrected me there a little bit. The trail party, as opposed to the race, tell me the, the distinction, what, what, why the trail party and how did, how that entered the Sasquatch uh, vernacular? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you could see behind me, uh, Sasquatch trail runner sign where the tagline, every run is a trail party. That's, that's our motto at Sasquad. So um, first of all, it usually makes everyone smile when you say that, trail party, uh, you know, throwing that into the, into the mix. Um, but yeah, we got that, um, you know, it's just to promote and to communicate that we're about fun. It's about including uh, all people's paces and ages. We want everybody to feel welcome at our events. And I think when you bump up the fun factor that just makes people feel at home a little bit better. Yeah. I like that. It, it did make the website hard for me to navigate at first. I will say, I was like, where's the race tab? Yeah. we <laughs> nope, It isn't on there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But you know what? It's picking up because now you'll see on social media when runners chat about 
the races, they'll say, you know, I was at the Sasquatch trail party this afternoon, which is, it's fun to see that kind of get, get thrown in vocabulary. I like that. So how did it like come up as just like an idea to like, to call it that? Obviously like it, it, it is very welcoming and it does provide, I think, the right kind of like cultural cue as for someone who's who's entering it. Again, for me, as a first time Sasquatter and my first time doing a trail ultra, it did have a nice kind of um, a way to orientate myself in terms of like sort of the, the vibe of the event. With that said, um, what was the genesis of it? Yeah, I think it started a few years ago. You know, there's a common phrase in trail and ultra and in some pockets of the community where people say, you know, I like to, I like to run party pace, party pace is like mm. a thing. Uh, other people call it sexy pace. I prefer party pace. Um, so we kind of just built off of that with like party pace. It's no, no pressure. You go your own speed pace doesn't matter. And that evolved into, you know, party trail party. Oh, we're going to call our events trail parties instead of races. I like that. That, that, that is very cool. And it definitely it's something that it's not just like a gimmick. It definitely, I think, permeates the 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 entire the culture of thing. Again, I'm not gonna act like I'm like some sort of veteran here. I did one race in Sasquatch, but it de- I definitely felt it. Even though it was a very challenging day, I'm sure for um, even for the certainly for the runners, but but even more so for the the staff and the volunteers and and people like yourself who certainly worked hard on a day where. The weather conditions were rainy and snowy and it was you know tough and i know that's not necessarily a new thing for you guys so uh it was it was uh it was really um i guess i'll say the vibe was certainly appreciated that's for <laughs> sure because it was it, it made the day uh that much more enjoyable i think so and hey uh, i'll just say once you you come around one time you're in the squad for life so it's kind of like the hotel california you can uh sign out but you can never leave so you're in i got it i got you well i might be more than on the sasquatch side of things like i people may never see me again but i'm there i'll, I'll be right. <laughs> i love it um all right so let's talk about your history before you know, we'll definitely talk about everything you're doing um with this trail you know with this company and putting on these events and it really is a remarkable thing and something that i want to talk about i love talking the business of running especially when it dovetails nicely with people's passions and their hobbies and just the things that they are into at the same time you have your own athletic background which is has a lot of texture to it and and certainly something that i want to get into um so i guess walk me through you know kim as an early teenager and and kind of building up from there just as a as an athlete Sure. Yeah. I mean, I grew up very active playing all different sports. My parents were very encouraging with just getting involved in extracurriculars, whatever that might be for me. Uh, I fell into sports and uh, played through high school and then went on to college and was able to do two sports, basketball and softball. So I did that for four years uh, and I just fell in love with athletics uh, so much so that after college, I looked for a grad assistant Positions found one out in uh, Ohio, so I did that. I was a grad assistant for three years while coaching softball, and then uh, was fortunate enough to get hired on full time afterwards as a full time assistant for the softball program. So I was there a total of six years before moving back here to New Jersey. And that was at Cedarville. Yeah, Cedarville. Yep. Gotcha. All right. So going back to high school, you were a really active kid. You were someone who obviously loved sports. What about sports drew you in so much that not only did you participate in a couple different high school sports, but you made it 
at this point, like a central part of your life moving forward. Yeah, I think for sure the the whole team aspect, it, I was always a, a team sport player rather than individual. Um, so I loved being involved in the team setting. Um, you know, my close friends were usually connected to the sports that I were that I was playing. Um, so I think that's what attracted me to it. I love, I like to work out. I like to exercise. I like to be active. So that was certainly a draw and has been a draw, but I think over, overall the, the overarching theme would be the team aspect of it is what attracted me to it. And then going to college, playing two sports in college is a significant, um, I guess I'm trying to put this the right way. Like it's a significant time investment. Right. I mean, like not only is one sport hard because you see one sport, but like, you know, there's still like even if you just did the basketball side of things, you still have all the stuff you do in the fall and then in in the spring as well to throw another sport in there. I'm assuming you probably had fall ball even when you had softball as, as, as a spring sport. What made you want to play two sports in college while also managing all the other, you know, the academic side and the social side and just just uh, all of that stuff? Yeah, I think it was just. Uh, a love for the game, of wanting to stay involved beyond high school. Uh, Gordon College was a Division three uh, college, so that made it a little bit easier in terms of the time commitment to be able to do two sports. I mean, it was still a ton of time, for sure. Um, it was a year-round thing and then training in the summer as well. Um, but the coaches were – I think they worked well together with making that possible for – I wasn't the only one. There are multiple athletes that would do – uh, two sports. So, uh, and then not only that, fun. but the, the winter sport and the spring sport overlap, right? So did you, did you end up missing significant time in softball? I would usually only miss a couple weeks of preseason. So they would be, and it was always indoor, right? Because it was new England and spring lasts about two weeks, pretty much <laughs> new England. Uh, we were North of Boston. So, uh, softball would be kicking up in the winter, but it was all indoor in the gym. So, uh, you know, I played basketball through, usually the season would go through the end of February and then I'd pick up with softball and we'd head out for spring training, usually South Carolina for over spring break would kick off the season. Yeah. One thing that I told you this weekend, which you didn't know ahead of time was that I actually saw you play basketball many times (laughs) because I was an assistant coach in the conference. So I was assistant coach at Roger Williams University at the same time that you were playing at Gordon College and and I was coaching the men's basketball team. And we had some fierce rivalries with with Gordon College and some absolutely fantastic games. And I became friends with the the head assistant coaches over there, which is always fun. But I got to see you drain in threes. Like I remember seeing the first time I saw your name, I was like, oh my gosh, this name looks so familiar to me. And I couldn't place it until I then did a little little research, little internet sleuthing. I was like, oh my goodness, this is it. Kim Levinsky, like three point <laughs> three point shooting monster from Gordon College. Oh my gosh. Well, I have to say that was a really, it was a blast from the past when, cause we saw each other the day before the race last weekend and I was doing some race setup. You came over and, um, admittedly it's very hard for me to keep track of names with runners. Like I meet, I just meet so many, you know, a couple thousand runners throughout the year. And so when you started to chat, I was trying to get the context clues. I was like, okay, uh, have we met before? And then when you shared about Roger Williams, I was like, oh my gosh, this is a really big blast from the past. And, <laughs> you know, you, I joke, but like, I don't talk about college ball really at all. 
Um, so you were you were bringing up the past of <laughs> all that. Was I there. love it. I can't as people listen to this podcast regularly. I can't stop. I, I love basketball. Today is the first day of the NCAA tournament, so like it's it's in the air, so to speak. Actually, another weird connection, and this is not a connection to you necessarily, but more to Gordon. And you, I don't know if you saw if you have seen the banner of the the Barrington College banner. At Gordon oh, College, yeah, yeah, that was uh, it was the previous school. I, I can't remember all the history of it. Yeah, so it was the previous location of the school. That's, That's my was. hometown, oh, Barrington, Rhode Island. Right, so it was oh. Barrington, Rhode Island when when they left and became Gordon College and moved. Is it Beverly, Massachusetts? Uh, Wenham, but it's next to Beverly. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So when they le- they moved, then it turned into Zion College, became a Bible school. But that was like my hometown. Oh. So oh, like okay. every time we went there, we saw Barrington College. Like I just kind of giggled to myself, like, "Oh, like that." I would play pickup at Zion Bible uh, College, like during the okay. year, like cause they had, like like a little mini indoor gym. And it was funny because they, they they cut half of it and turned it like into like an amphitheater kind of thing. And then you play like kind of like this. Anyone who's been to like a high school gym knows like you have like the normal basketball court and then you could go right. sideways and they kind of have like the side right, courts, right, right. right? So you have like you can take one court and take it and make it into two courts. So we kind of they did that sort of setup. So I would play with some of the guys and girls who were at Zion Bible College as for pickup and it was like pretty close to my house. So I would just kind of run my bike over there and yeah. it was like an odd little thing. So I know this isn't germane to where you grew up or anything, but it was always like that little nugget of like every time I went to Gordon College, I was like, oh my yeah. God, this is so funny how like my history is slightly tied into this it's place. all connected. Yeah, that's that's wild. Yeah, I, I forgot about the banner that was at Gordon for Barrington. Yeah, that is that's funny. All right, so you, all right, so you went to Cedarville, got a GA spot there. Um, a graduate assistant spot is hard to get. People might not know this. People who work in colleges certainly do. Those are not easy jobs to get at all. They're well sought after because being assistant coach is really hard to get into college coaching at any level, and especially as a young as a youngster who's just outside, just out of college. You get that, and then you transfer, you transition from the GA into the assistant coaching spot. Tell me about how and why you decided to transition out of college athletics. And I say that as someone who like who did this myself. So I, I you know, not only do I always want to get people's backstories, but I'm obviously personally invested because I have my own kind of story here. Sure. Yeah. So you're you're asking about leaving Cedarville to transition here. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you can. Uh, I'm sure you would agree and attest to just the, the lifestyle of coaching is grueling. It's, uh, it's intense. I can certainly agree to that. Yeah. And yeah, Cedarville was division two. So it was even more so than my experience as a division three athlete, which obviously athlete and coaching is different, but, um, division two is just a whole nother animal. Um, it really, it, it mirrors division one a lot more than division three. I feel like they're not even in the same ballpark. Uh, so just the lifestyle was really intense. I mean, it was year round. Um, and as an assistant, which you might know, you do everything. This, everything. You're, just, you're, you're wearing every possible uh, hat roll. I mean, you're grocery shopping, you're a travel agent, you schedule the bus. Uh, a lot of times I felt like the actual coaching was the last thing on the list for an assistant coach. Um, but all is that to say is, the experience was incredibly valuable, especially now as a small business owner with, I mean, so many things that I learned and experienced as a coach, I've carried over into uh, 
running Sasquatch trail running. Uh, I mean, the administrative experience alone with just all the back end with spreadsheets and emails and <laughs> zillion and one things of multitasking. I think the multitasking aspect was is probably the most valuable thing I took out of coaching to bring back here. So uh, the long, the short, long answer is that it was just, it was intense and I did it for six years. Um, but I was just ready for life to slow down a little bit and have a little bit more work life balance. Cause there, there wasn't a lot of that while coaching. No, not, not much in coaching. That's for sure. So when you made the move out of coaching, did you have something already lined up or was it just a decision? Hey, this, I had to, if I, if I don't make my decision now, I'm going to be coaching another year. So I have to, I have to decide. Yeah, that that was the boat I was in, and then uh, it worked out where it was it was literally just the week after that I had resigned that a job opened up, and I just took it was an administrative job at a uh, inpatient rehab center, a therapy center, Kessler uh, inpatient rehab in West Orange, and uh, so I was Wait, just I looking, drove right past that place on the way yeah, to the race. Yeah, you did. It was right <laughs> on Pleasant Valley Way, um, so I just took a job there, nine to five, uh, started as an aide in the gym. And then transition, I think when they realized I had administrative skills from, you know, grad school and coaching, uh, I got plugged in as a rehab uh, therapy coordinator. So then I did all scheduling. Um, But that was like my first experience ever. It was like so different. (laughs) The coaching lifestyle where you're working 60, sometimes 70 hours a week to like a nine to five job. Uh, which I think it it really helped the transition with just like kind of getting recharged and um, after feeling some burnout, be, just being able to do kind of a mindless job from nine to five, but at a really cool place where you're seeing people come back from catastrophic injuries. I was uh, on the spinal cord injury floor. So just seeing people like literally learn to walk again um, was was incredible and I think it it also helped shift my perspective with running because you see that every day and you really I think it's brought to the forefront of how much we can take that for granted just basic health and the ability to move um so I really I did I valued my time at Kessler that was really it was a great experience Hey, folks, let's talk about Vacation Races. Vacation Races is a running and travel company that helps people explore and enjoy the most scenic places on Earth. It's just a remarkable company, and a big thing that they are promoting are their global adventures. So they just announced their full calendar for 2024. Currently, they offer 11 different global destinations from Alaska, Costa Rica, Croatia, Ecuador, Iceland, Ireland, Japan, New Zealand, Patagonia, Portugal... And a select and a secret destination. So I guess we'll find out about that later. These are unbelievable week-long adventures that do just amazing things. So in, not only are you going to be doing the running and the hiking and all that's associated with vacation races, but the meals and the hotels—they're all accounted for. for the, most most of the meals and the drinks are all accounted for. The hotels are accounted for. You get a ton of swag. You get the beach hoodie. You get the race shirt, the medal, the Global Ventures trucker hat, um, some VR luggage tags. You got a bunch of stuff as well. All you need to do is sit back, relax, and book your flight. And it's really an incredible, incredible uh, company that if you are interested in doing some adventuring, that you, you can't do better than this place. It really is a remarkable thing. 
If you're interested in doing one of their global adventures, just go to vacationraces.com and use code RAMBLING200 to save $200 off your global adventures trip. Now, just so, just a heads up, this does not work for any events that are sold out. Also, it's for the global adventures, not their half marathons, ultra marathons, or trail fests. Okay, so that's RAMBLING200 for a $200 off a global adventure. However, if you do want to do the ultra or the half that aren't sold out and you want to save some money on that, you can use code RAMBLING15. Say 15% on any half or ultra marathon that is not currently sold out. So you have two different choices, again, the half or the ultra for RAMBLING15 or the global adventure for $200 off by using code RAMBLING200. All of this is in the show notes. Go check them out today. That's a great point because so many of us, when we come back from injury, we say, I'm not going to take running for granted. Now that I haven't had running, I'm never going to take it for granted. And then like two weeks later, we probably forget that we ever said or, or thought that. Um, but, but but living it as a job obviously presents it uh, in a kind of a different light. So I can imagine that having a significant impact on how you viewed your own athletics and movement and things of that nature. When did running enter the picture for you? Was Were you always a runner? Is just like in terms of like off season as a college athlete or or when did it when did it start? Running, you know, and you could probably say this too, running was always the kind of the punishment, right, of team sports. So it was never something that I enjoyed growing up and playing sports through college and coaching. Uh, but when I was in grad school, when I left when I left uh, college athletics as an athlete, there was a huge hole, right, because I played sports my whole life. I played four years of college ball. And then all of a sudden I wasn't playing anymore. Cedarville noontime hoops didn't do it for you? <laughs> no. <laughs> wasn't wasn't feeling it. Um, <laughs> so that that's when I got involved in running. Um, my let me see, I guess the year would be 2013 or 12 or 13 is when I first started running and my brother he invited me to train for a half marathon with him. He was living in Ohio at the time as well. So we signed up for the flying pig half marathon. It was a road, road race. Oh, that's, that's, that's a really well-known race. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of those big classic road events. Um, and I did that and was absolutely hooked on running after that. It, it just, the whole process of training, uh, cause I did like a couch to half marathon plan, um, loved it. And then, uh, you know, went off the rails because that's, I have that personality of like all or nothing and zero to a hundred. So went from like half marathon to marathon to 50 K to 50 mile. And it was like a little over a year. It was like a year. Wow. Yeah. So In I drank the Kool-Aid, drank the Kool-Aid. Oh the Kool <laughs> that is wild. All right. Now as a, Either as a kid or I guess at any point leading up to that to that situation, were you just known as like a high energy person? I feel like that's a huge step to make in terms of like, I'm just getting into it. Just kidding. I'm now an ultra runner. Like, I feel like there's people like you might not have talked to who you're like, who like last time you spoke to them, you weren't a runner. And then like you call them again. You're like, oh, just kidding. And now I'm an ultra runner. Like, I feel like that happened so quickly. So were you always known as someone who, like, had a ton of energy and go, go, go type mentality? I don't know. If, I don't know if somebody would say I have, like, a high energy because I'm pretty laid back and even keeled. Um, but definitely, like, an all-in committed, if you're going to do something, let's do it 
type of a thing. And, and I think because my first experience was so positive at that race, um, I just fell in love with it. And especially then, but when I, when I transitioned to trail, the first, uh, the 50 K that I did, that's when I like completely fell in love with the trail running scene. And, uh, there's just totally different vibes from a road race transitioning to trail. Uh, everyone was so friendly and talking to each other and, um, nobody really cared about pace. No one's looking at their watch. You're walking up the hills, you're eating pierogies, uh, you know, very, very different than the road scene where you're like chugging Gatorade and throwing the cup on the ground type of thing. I can definitely relate to the pierogies. Thank you for, thank you for having those at the aid station. I just bought more pierogies today. It's been a while (laughs) since I had them and I I haven't been eating them. Because my kids don't like them. So, like, uh-huh. I, I always make dinner for the family. So, I'm like, oh, they don't like them. So, I don't make them. Like, no, I'm just buying them for myself now. Now, I'm just having pierogies <laughs> all the time. Um, so, thank you for reminding me how much I love pierogies for having them at the A station. Um, talk to me about that that road to trail move, uh, especially in light of the fact that, like, obviously, you're a competitive athlete, right? So, it's not like you've always been to athletics for, like, hey, I'm always in this just for the social side. Like, you were – certainly, there's that part of it, and you talked about your love for team sports. But at the same time, like, there's no way you can be a two-sport college athlete without being, like, a really competitive person who's, like, okay with being in competitive situations. So, tell me more about, like, I guess maybe what you expected when you entered that 50K from a trail – the trail side and why it really stuck with you beyond that. That is such an interesting question. I feel like I'm not that person who's when you're playing a board game, you have to win because I'm so competitive type of thing. Um, but I'm the stereotype on that one. Are you? Like, yeah. Yes. Like you, you do you flip the board? I'm and- the, I know I don't because I'm 42 years old now, but I'm the worst. I'm <laughs> the worst. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, I, I you know I'm pretty good with that. I think. I think that what attracted me to trail was that I was involved in competitive athletics for so long and for so many years. And then to see this completely different side of sport and activity, it was almost like I was confused at first because you started, we started this 50 K it starts with a climb. Um, and everyone started walking and, you know, with road running, there's no walking and everyone's looking at their watch. And I remember just thinking like, what's going on? Why are we walking? What's happening? And then when people started chatting and being friendly, um, once I let my guard down a little bit, I was like, wow, this is really, really neat. And I ended up sharing, it was probably 10 or 15 miles with a woman at that race, the last 10, 15 miles. And that had, I had never experienced that in road riding where you just start chatting with the stranger and end up sharing miles. Um, so I think that it was a formative experience in that it was just so unique and unlike anything I had experienced before that it was, it was like, it was refreshing and it was cool and I wanted to experience more of it. And what did that mean from a training perspective? That, that's, that's, that paradigm shift from road to trail. Yeah, I can remember a specific moment when I changed to trail after the 50K, and I remember noticing I'm getting slower on the trail, which that hap- like that's, that happens. You're slower generally on the trails than you are on the road. And I remember thinking, I guess it doesn't matter, right? Does it matter? It doesn't. And that was like a really big shift because all up to that point, I was like following these 
I would just print them out from online, like running, Runner's World magazine or whatever, like a training plan you're doing at certain pace and, you know, really focusing on the numbers and the metrics and stuff. And then making that transition, it was just such a freeing experience to uh, just go out there and enjoy the experience rather than like, folk. and I'm not saying, I'm not saying it all. If you're listening to this and you're into like pace and you're competitive and that's what brings you joy, I think that's fantastic. Um, no, we know me, you're talking about your own personal experience. It's okay. Yeah. You don't have to throw caveats out there. Yeah. Yeah. So I, for me, I think it was just making that shift was, it was so, it was needed in that time of my life, um, transitioning out of a very intense, uh, you know, work life and schedule. So were you still in Ohio when you did your first ultra? When I did my first ultra, I was, but I ran it here in New Jersey, which is actually a neat oh. story. I found it's the May Apple 50K I did. And now I guess it's probably, I don't know how many years later, seven, eight years later, I'm now the co-race director for that event. So my first ultra was the May Apple. Now, So that's not a, that's not a trail party? That's a race? It is a race. It's technically <laughs> a race. <laughs> I help out with the event, but uh, it's cool to still be connected with with an event that was my, you know, the first. Actually, um, Emma Zimmerman, I think, did May Apple last year. So okay. She is a uh, a really highly regarded um, uh, writer out of Brooklyn. She awesome. did Emma, she did that last year, and at first she was like, "Wait, is this part of Sasquatch or not?" We sent some, we sent some notes back and forth uh, this past week, and Emma's done some really good work, especially recently with long COVID stuff. Uh, but uh, yeah, because she did May Apple last year, I think it was May Apple. Sometimes I get the all the apples. I know confused. there's two apples. Yeah. Yeah, the May Apple is it's put on by the South Mountain Conservancy. They're the nonprofit that maintains those trails. So it's their annual fundraiser. And then Sasquad, we I guess on paper we co-sponsor it because I provide the chip timing for it. So I to table do the timing. Um but you know the the May Apple is is very laid back. It's 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 like classic local trail. Um no frills. When I when I ran the event, it's I love telling the story. I ran the event uh, I guess it was probably 2014, uh, Dennis Percher, who's the race director and the chair of the conservancy, he's, you know, he's like, all right, everyone, come on over. We're going to start. There's no starting line. It's just, you know, a bunch of rocks. He said, okay. And he holds up a wall clock, like something you'd hang in your kitchen, you know? And he's like, okay, when the second hand gets to 12, we're going to start. We're all just standing there watching the clock tick, tick, tick. And uh, I, and so this is, right, this is like after doing a road half marathon, a road marathon, and then you come to the trail scene and like, what is going on with the kitchen clock? This is classic. That reminds me of like when I first got into running as like a middle schooler, right? You're like, I'm going to see how long I run for. Like you look at the microwave and then you like, you run out the door and then like you come back like two miles later or whatever. And you like run back in, look at the microwave. You're like, wait, how long, how long was I going for? Yeah. <laughs> so that, that set this, that set the tone for that event. But I mean, it was fantastic. It was a great experience and uh, it's cool to still be connected with it. So it seemed like with running, like in for a dime, in for a dollar in terms of like your like initial commitment into it. Like you were certainly went all in. I mean, the fact that you did a 50 miler so quickly, I mean, my goodness, that is, um, you know, quite the endeavor on your end. So once you were inculcated into the running community, especially into the trail ultra scene, were there people that you looked up to either regionally or nationally that you 
um, sort of gravitate towards either their story or their training or their racing or things like that? Um, that's a great question. I mean, of course, I'm with the crowds where, you know, Courtney DeWalter is just an incredible individual to follow in the trail scene. Um, but I think early on when I was getting connected with the trail community, I most admired and I still do is, uh, there's a group of women, which is, which is how I got really plugged into the trail community here in Jersey. Uh, it's a group of moms and they run their local moms. They've, they've become some of my closest friends. Uh, and I remember just being so like, just really admiring how much they had, they had to work very hard to make running a priority because just being a mom, it's busy, they work, they have kids and all that. And so, uh, I think early on, I just really admired what they were doing as runners and seeing that like they've made this an important part of their life. It's a priority and there's a reason for it. It's been transformative. And I think that's what drew me into the trail community. And for you as a runner, why was it always like, all right, I want to go farther instead of maybe staying at certain distances and say, okay, I just want to, you know, kind of master this distance and then maybe move up. It seems like, again, I know you've done some seriously long races and, and I'd love for you to talk about some of them, but what about going farther was a draw for you? <sighs> That's a million dollar question, I feel like, for runners. <laughs> why? Why do you do this? <laughs> What can be there's there's so many there's so many options right like yeah you, know, like you could run hundred milers for days but like you've run farther than that and you've mm -hmm. raced farther than that and even that would be like all right like that's a serious endeavor right there right but but and and if you just said hey I want to get good at hundred milers or I want to get good at just the local racing scene it seems like you have constantly pushed yourself to new heights and to new barriers um, whereas there are certainly other people who their barriers are more either time-based or they're just like, hey, even if it's not time-based, it's just like, hey, I want to get really good at this distance or these couple distances. I want to see what my potential is in these distances, right? It seems like that hasn't quite been uh, your take on, on race selection. Yeah, I think probably a couple variables. Um, what's the saying? Like the people... You the people you hang around, you're most like, or something like that. You know, I, I'm friend, my friends are runners and they're ultra runners. And, uh, I think the more you hang out with people, the more you get influenced a little bit. So I definitely have a lot of Kool-Aid drinking friends, uh, that are into the ultra scene. Uh, but I think probably the answer would be just, and it's going to sound like so cheesy and woo woo, but every experience has just been really transformative. And I think there's that draw that you like want to keep chasing that. And um, I've just found the longer you go, the more stuff happens out there, uh, not just in the race setting, but the journey to get to the starting line and the finish line, that whole, and especially like Tahoe 200, the last year or two has, has been an incredible experience, life-changing experience with just getting there and the things that you work through and learn along the way. I think that's the draw for me, at least, is that um, the people you meet, the experiences you had, the adventures that you make, it's been, it's just really cool. And I guess I just want more of it is what I would say. <laughs> I'm going to have to drill down there uh, because I've had some, some, I've, I've certainly done plenty of races, um, 
with that said, I've never had a life-changing running experience. I've had some very some very challenging days. I've had some days um, that went very well, but never something that I felt like afterwards, like, wow, I'm a different person now, right? Now I view life differently, right? It's always kind of fit pretty neatly into what I'd already kind of constructed as my life. So tell me more about the Tahoe 200 and what about it? Um, not only was was life-changing, but... I guess, describe that life-changing element. Like the, I, I've never experienced that. So it's hard for me to put the question into words, but I'm, I'm just supremely curious. Mm. Yeah. I joke, I joke with close friends that Tahoe is the gift that keeps on giving because I feel like the more time that goes by, uh, the more I'm learning like how transformative that was. And there's lessons that pop up along the way. And one of my close friends, Matt Klein, he's done a number of the 200s. He's done probably three or four of them. Uh, he told me that before I went out to Tahoe. He's like, you're going to be thinking about Tahoe probably every day for, you know, another year or two. And you're going to, things are just going to pop up in your mind that you hadn't thought about um, until maybe a couple months later. Uh, and that's, that's wrong. True. That, that has happened. That's been my experience. But um yeah, it's interesting. Tahoe 200. Oh, you could talk for I could talk for so long about the whole experience, but I think it's interesting because if you talk to my experience, I've talked to other people who have they were either at that race or they've done these ultra ultras. Um, there's so because because it's so long, there's so many highs and there's so many lows. And they just keep happening over and over and over again. I feel like with the 100 mile, I've done 200 mile experiences. And those, I feel like it was really between miles 70 to 85 as you go into that like dark space, right? And that's when the hard stuff happens. And eventually you work through it. And all of a sudden you've got, you know, 10 miles to go, five miles to go. You can do it. With the 200 those highs and lows just seemed to be so much more extreme and they just happened over and over and over again. Um, and for me, a lot of it paralleled my experience with mental health. And I think that I've said this before talking with friends is that the tour, it's kind of like this yin yang thing with mental health and ultra running for me. And I know for a lot of other runners is that like, during something like Tahoe 200 or really long, hard training efforts, uh, and you go through that dark valley, right? You face the demons or whatever. I would be thinking about, well, this isn't as hard as an experience that I had earlier in the year when I was really struggling with depression and like really going through this, that dark moment of depression. But then like on the flip side, there's been moments where I mean, just this past winter around the holidays, it was a hard time. I was struggling with depression. And I thought so much about Tahoe 200, where, you know, my friends that were with me at Tahoe crewing and pacing, one of the things they always said when I'd be struggling was, okay, but this is going to pass like 10 minutes, give it 10 minutes. You're going to get through this and you're going to feel high. And, you know, we're going to come around the ridge line. You're going to see Lake Tahoe. It's going to be magnificent. And those same friends, you know, I'm very close with them. They would say almost verbatim the same things when I was struggling with depression. It's like, okay, Kim, but, you know, you're going to get through this. Give it a couple days and, you know, draw on the strengths that you have and, you know, lean on us. You're going to get through it. So um, for me, those two things have been so intertwined. And um, it's really, 
I think come to the surface this last year or two. It's never been ever, ever something I've felt comfortable talking about. Um, it's almost weird to hear myself talk about it now. So like comfortably, I mean, it's still a little bit uncomfortable, but, um, I think that I've, but just being more open about it, getting plugged in with therapy, um, and learning that like when you share your story, you can help other people. I think that's been a really, really transformative part of my experience with ultra running, especially the last two years. It's just when you share, I've had so many people reach out and say like, I heard your story and I'm going through something similar. And this has been my experience. Like, and now I'm going to get help. Now I'm going to reach out and get some therapy. So, uh, that's a very long answer to your question, Matt. <laughs> Let's call the Rambling Runner podcast for a reason. So I appreciate okay. it. Um, and also, even more so in the jokes aside, thank you for sharing that. Um, I do really appreciate you um, opening up like that and sharing that part uh, of your life. And, uh, you know, truth be told, and I've said this on the podcast before, not not in a while, uh, just because it hasn't come up organically. Um, but I went through a depressive period. Um, as well, it hasn't been something that I battled my whole life, but there was there was a time where I was battling it, and I did uh, see a therapist, and it definitely helped. There's no question yeah. about it. Uh, I'm not seeing therapists any longer. It was more of a, a period in time versus something that was um, more, uh, you know, some people battle some people battle this their whole life, right? And that right. that hasn't been my experience. But with that said, everyone's experience is different. Um, one of the tropes that often gets trotted out about ultra running that oftentimes like it's people who are battling demons are the ones that can really um not do ultra not do ultras but kind of find either solace or um comfort or just an, an amazing connection and parallel like like you mentioned um with their lives and ultra running uh as as you know there's a lot of like addicts who who gravitate towards to ultra running maybe for different reasons but uh, ultimately to to have that that connective tissue that allows them to kind of be themselves uh and live the kind of life that they really want to live um so have you noticed any changes in your life since ultra has become such a major part of it as a runner? Or I guess it's at the same time, like you're so active now putting on these trail parties. Like, I wonder how much running has even been a part of your life because you're every month you're doing, you know, race directing. Yeah. Th thankfully I, I still get time to run and it's, it's a big part of my life. Um, yeah, I think that a shift that's happened for me in the last year and a half, two years was I think my whole life, it's been athletics and being active. And then the last few years been running that I, I joke, it was my therapy. And that's how I dealt, I think, with struggling with depression it was like, well, I'm just going to run more and things are going to be fine. And I still fight that mentality. It's something that will take a long time to unwind. But I think when I made that change of listen, finally listening to my friends who were encouraging me that running can only take you so far and can only help so much. Um, there's other ways that can combine with running that are great and talking with a professional, you know, sometimes medication could be helpful as well. Um, that I think has been the most valuable shift is like just learning that running isn't always the answer for every problem <laughs> as much as we want it to be. Uh, I think that's been really helpful to learn that lesson. I'm going to keep I'm going to keep learning it my whole life. I know that I am. It's not something that you just flip the switch and you're like, oh, I got it now. It's, <laughs> it's, it's solved. So, 
It's a great point. Yeah, because we do hear that a lot. I feel like it's it's even it literally is on t-shirts. Like running is my therapy or running is therapy, yeah. things like that. Um, it's more like running is therapeutic. I think that's probably a better way of saying it. That's a great way to phrase it, Matt. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So when you were, again, and still are, when when you're preparing for an ultra, I think, and obviously it's different now because you have all of these uh, ultra running experiences, but for maybe someone who's newer newer, newer to an experience or thinking about doing an ultra, Talk to me just about like the training that you have gone through and also how you advise other people to think about training for a race like that. Like, again, I'll just take this past weekend, right? So I did my first ultra, so the the Sasquatch 33-miler. It was, again, obviously 33 miles. Uh, at the same time, it was roughly 4,200 feet of elevation gain. Um so you're having someone who hasn't done that, but maybe has a mar- has done a marathon, and maybe that marathon has four to eight hundred feet of elevation gain, kind of more on the flatter side. How do you tell people or walk walk them through the process of not only you know signing up and being excited, but also making sure that they're prepared to have uh, a great experience that day? All right, everybody, I want to take a quick break and give a shout out to Lagoon. Oh my gosh, they are amazing this year. I'm really trying to take better care of myself, both before and after my runs. And one of the areas that I'm really focusing on is sleep, and not just about the time you ha- the time you spend in bed. Obviously, that's important, but also making sure you have quality and not just quantity. And that's a big thing, right? We talk about all the time with training, quantity and quality. Same thing with sleep, and part of that is your pillow. I have the Fox pillow. That was the one that I got after taking the online quiz, which was really interesting to take. You, you figure out like, what, what exactly do I need? What do I need my pillow for? How do I sleep? What are my preferences? And it makes a big difference. And this is a pillow I've had for over a month now. It's coincided with my biggest 30 days of training that I've ever had. And I feel really, really good. And I know a big reason for that is because of how I'm sleeping and how I'm sleeping is affected by my pillow and things are just going so well for me. Waking up from my morning runs has never felt better. I'm refreshed. I'm pain-free in large part thanks to Lagoon Pillow. So go to lagoonsleep.com. That's L-A-G-O-O-N sleep.com forward slash rambling. Take their awesome two-minute sleep quiz to find your match and then use code rambling for 15% off your first purchase today. Yeah, I think, you know, I have these conversations all the time with it, whether it be a brand new runner, they've just started their running journey or someone like you described, maybe they're coming from the road scene and this is their first trail experience. Most often I hear from the newbies is, uh, it's a fear of, well, I don't, I don't know if I can do it. I, I don't know if I can trail run. Like I'm, I'm very slow. That's the line is like, I'm, I'm so slow. I'm too, I'm too slow to run. And my response is always, well, pace doesn't matter. Does it? Does, I mean, does it really matter? No one, no one cares. Like we're, you're not going to be judged when you're out there. Um, many of our, I would say the majority, nine out of 10 of our events are very generous cutoffs uh, Squatch Apple being one of them, you know, the race time started pretty early. They extended a couple hours after sunset. Um, so that's usually what I lead with is like, don't worry about your pace. And that's the same for the road runners, because a lot of times, like I described my own experience, you, you are a little bit, you can be fixated on pace. And so that's something I'll mention is, Hey, just be ready that you're, you'll likely be slower. And <laughs> you could probably say, Matt, like the conditions, 
have a lot to do with that. Uh, Saturday, we had horrendous trail conditions where I don't think anybody probably got a PR in terms of like they ran their fastest. I guess technically I did because it was my first. But yeah, besides me, I might have been I might have been the only PR in the group. Yeah, it's I mean, that's the you know, we talk about that is that, you know, trail is different. It's a whole nother animal than the road where like the road you have asphalt and you don't I mean, it could be wet. I guess if it's cold, there could be some ice. But with the trails, I mean, you saw what happened Saturday. They turned into six inches of mud. And <laughs> I just washed my shoes for the fourth time. There's, I, there's still. I don't know if there's. I don't know if they're gonna come back. I gotta be honest. Mud, mud trauma. <laughs> yeah. So I think I just encourage folks to. There's no. There's no right or wrong way to trail run. I think. And and sometimes you can get caught up in well, well, I don't have trail shoes or I don't have the right equipment. Uh, you know, we just encourage folks. Well, just get out there, and you know, don't go, don't buy a, a pair of hundred fifty dollars shoes to trail shoes to trail run. Go out there with what you have, see if you like it, and then if you like it, you know, go to a local running store, check that out. Um, but I think that's just the message that we try to communicate: is just get out there, try it, see if you like it, and if you do, then keep going. Yeah, for sure, and I will say. I've done a lot of reflection. The last podcast episode I put out was a, a complete breakdown of like the race with my friend Peter Bromka just talking about the whole thing and and um, my analysis of like, all right, this, these are things that in retrospect I wish I had spent more time on or uh, what I'll do in the future to help get prepare. And the two big things for me were strength training mm. because I felt like I was strong enough. If the course had been – if it had been a really nice weather day, that I felt like I was strong enough to handle it. Awesome. But throw in the the pretty large mud variable where like half the course was pretty muddy. Yeah. It was, and for me, that was like 16 and a half miles. It definitely like sapped me that I wasn't strong enough to work through that and still run where there are other people okay. who definitely, who, who, who could do that. And okay. um, they weren't all like, you know, guys and girls with like tree trunk legs who've been like spending time in the gym. Like, there's plenty of people out there who were like, you know, may never been in the gym in their life, but they need to do a lot of body weight stuff. Who knows? But like, mm -hmm. I wasn't strong enough to spring okay. ready to handle the mud and still run. Like it, okay. it drained me. And the other part was like just trail time. And like, there was, mm -hmm. it was funny. Cause like I was doing a ton of trail time and then I diminished because as my mileage went up, my trail time went down because around me, the, the trails are so technical that if yeah. I do like a 10 mile run, it's going to take me two hours. Sure. Yeah. Plus I have to drive to the trailhead. It's like, I can't make a normal easier run be two and a half to three hour time commitment, like on a daily right, basis. Right. Right. So I was like, all right, like I'll just do a ton of hills and we'll make these road hilly routes to try to make up for it. In retrospect, I should have been like, okay, decrease the mileage, stay lower and mm. just spend more time on the trails in retrospect. Again, okay. that's just the way it goes. I don't, I'm not like beating myself up over it, but I know for me, that was like two big things that in retrospect, I'm like, oh, these were changes that if I had done them, maybe this day would have been a little bit more running and a little bit right. less walking. Right. Right. Totally. Yeah. So I don't know if other people have had, I don't know if like, you've had similar experiences in terms of like, you know, stepping up into, you know, cause you, you've continued to like step up to longer distances. Like when you've done that, like for me, this was a longer day. Like I was out there for eight hours and 55 minutes. I mean, that's a, it's a long yeah. day for me. Um, that's basically like double my slowest marathon 
So that's right. a long time to be just out there, even if it is walking. So when you've bumped up mileage, because uh, you've continually done it from a race perspective, what are some things that you try to do to get yourself ready for uh, that that newer, longer distance? Yeah, I think one one thing that all of us can do as runners, and I've just learned this from being a race director, is to do a little research on what the race is going <laughs> to entail. So that means reading the race description. Um, a lot of folks don't do that. I'm, I was guilty of it as a pre, you know, before I was a race director, I was that, I remember what one, one event I did, I tried a 50 milers years ago. I didn't read the race descriptions before I was an RD. I missed the cutoff. I didn't know there was a cutoff. I got to an aid station and they're like, Hey, you missed the cutoff. I said, there's a cutoff. And they're like, yeah, you missed it. Your race is over. <laughs> Truth be told, I did pack my headlamp. I was prepared. I actually, I spent an hour and 15 minutes on the phone with Laura Pfeiffer, Laura Pfeffer. She lives in the neighborhood next to the South Mountain Reservation. I spent an hour and 15 minutes on the phone with her going over every mile of the course. That's awesome. Like going through Strava. I'm like, yeah. what about this section? What about this section? I literally brought up someone's Robert Lister's Strava from 2021. Oh my <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm going to send you Robert Lister's Strava because he yeah. paced it perfectly. Like, we're going to go through every single mile and you're going to help me. She's like, I don't know it like that well. I can't walk you through every mile. I'm like, please just help me. I'm so nervous. <laughs> See, but you did you did some homework, right? And that's yeah, it, did, it didn't help me out on the race day, but no, I definitely. <laughs> but I hear what you're saying. Like, I, I think I think planning can definitely. I gotta say, I wasn't surprised by anything, which was right. nice. Right, right. So, so the follow up to that is besides you know knowing what you're getting into, that can help you with training. So I think that yeah. that's that's a great point with just trying to get some specificity with like if you're going to be running a hundred miles on a rail trail, that's pancake flat then it would be helpful to train on that similar terrain where vice versa you know you're doing something that's incredibly tech maybe you're doing a half marathon like our bear mountain race we have coming up it's not flat and it's and it's very technical so you know somebody training for that who you know wants to be prepared you would encourage them like okay go out to if you can go out to bear mountain or find if you're not local find a trail system that is going to mimic the type of climbing and the type of terrain, I think that could help you prepare for for the event. All right. Talk to me about getting into this as a race director and someone leading an organization like this, because obviously you were you had developed a lot of the tools that you need in this job with your work as this, as assistant softball coach, right? All a lot of the logistical side of things are easily transferable to the current job. At the same time, it still wasn't guaranteed that you were going to do this. Like you had just picked up running and all of a sudden, like now here you are, you've made running part of your livelihood. It's not the only part of your life, but it certainly is a major part of it. So talk to me about like deciding to not only be a part of trail culture in New Jersey and Southern New York, but having it be such a major part of your life and devoting yourself to it. Yeah, I think that, you know, the draw to that was just my personal experience in the the trail running scene here in Jersey and New York. It was just so positive. When I moved back in, I guess it was 2016, I moved back and started getting plugged in with local running groups. I got connected with a women's group in Union County, New Jersey, and that's what I was referencing before, that group of moms have become close friends. 
uh, it was just such a positive experience seeing how, you know, running groups can be so supportive and you can have so many different types of people get involved, uh, different pace groups go out, you know, road, trail, whatever. And I think that's what really drew me to wanting to get into race directing. And so I was chatting with those friends, you know, while we were running naturally and shared, you know, I really like to try to put on an event. I think it'd be super cool to offer something here in Northern Jersey. And those friends encouraged me, well, why don't you put on, try putting on a fat ass race. So a fat ass event is there's no registration fee. There's no swag. There's no aid. There's no whining. That's like the tagline. You just, you show up and you run and you hike. So that was 2018 in January. Um, they helped me and a bunch of friends. We organized this event. It was called the Frosty Fat Sass. So that was the first official Sasquad race. Uh, we had over 100 signups and uh, folks were just super excited. And that's what, you know, the feedback after the race, runners and hikers were saying like, this is awesome. When's the next event? You know, we need more events here in Jersey. Uh, this was great. It was so accessible. We did it in the same trail system that you were at last weekend. It was in West Orange. Um, so that was kind of the launching point was January 2018. And then just hearing from the community, the need and um, and the desire for there to be more trail running events. So uh, from there, just snowballed, put on another race in April. That was we had a nice turnout uh, again in July and then September of that year uh, and then November and at that point, I think it was later in 2018, that's when I started having conversations with friends and saying, I think there's something here where like this could really launch into a full series and uh, it could be a career change where, you know, eventually I could support myself doing this full time. Uh, and it took a couple of years. I, cha I, I transitioned to full time race directing uh, as in 2020, actually right before the pandemic. So the timing was pretty interesting with that. <laughs> I can relate to that. I, w I went full-time on the first day of my kids being in lockdown from school. That was my first time as a, as a full-time. <laughs> so the day the day that I left um, college athletics was like the day that the pandemic started. When the world shut down? Yeah. <laughs> Talk about stress, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was, that was uh, spring of 2020. And uh, there were a few weeks of like major freak out mode with like, I just quit my job and I'm doing this full time. I bought a trailer and the world shut down. Uh, but great thing about running is that all of us are resilient and creative. And so the whole virtual, the virtual races launched and that took off. Um, and that, that really, it carried Sasquad through to once New Jersey started to slowly open back up to events, we were putting on races, but you had to abide by like, the 20 person gathering rule. So we were doing five K's that lasted like all day long. Cause we were doing waves of 20 people. Um, but that being said, there were only, there weren't a lot of races happening. So I think that those events that were small groups all day long is, is actually what helped Sasquatch, I think, turn the corner because we were getting runners and hikers who were just looking, they just wanted to come out. They wanted to run, they wanted to race, they wanted to be outside. And so we were, meeting new people, getting people plugged in. Uh, and then once, you know, races, all those limits started uh, easing up is when, you know, 
it, I feel like it really took off in the last year or two. Yeah, I, I believe it. That's for sure. And it is interesting. So much, um, so much has been made about the growth of trail running uh, in a lot of different respects, whether it's shoe brands, um, you know, devoting way more of their resources and sponsorship dollars to this, to the unbelievable live streaming that you're seeing at a variety of different trail races, both nationally, internationally. Um, just you on YouTube is just some of the base, some of the best race race day uh, stuff is just free on YouTube. Like forget yeah, about like, yeah. turning to NBC or, or whatever. And that that's certainly out there. So it, it's not a surprise that you guys have you know, seen this kind of growth, uh, especially considering um, all the hard work that you're doing with that said, in your work, it's hard. Like you're out there, you're planning, you're doing stuff every month. The weekends are um, certainly fun, but also very time intensive. You're managing a lot of volunteers. It's not the easiest job in the world. And obviously you enjoy it. You created this company. You're working really hard. You made it your full-time job. Um, when you think about like your motivations for your profession and Sasquad, how much of it is derived from your own love and interest and how much of it is derived from the, the you know, the, the need of the community, as you mentioned earlier, like that was a, a primary driver early on was just the communal need for, for this sort of thing. Wow. Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. I think it's a mix of both. And, uh, you know, as a race director, you, you get to have these really cool moments where yes, it's a ton of time. It's a ton of work. It's, it's, you know, race week is insane and the emails and there could be frustrations. But then when you're at the finish line and you get to have these conversations with runners and hikers and you hear their stories, I think that's that's like that's where the magic happens, where you hear people kind of sharing their heart and what they overcame to come to the race or what's going on in their lives and how running is has changed their lives running or hiking uh, I think that is what I love and just seeing the transformative power in the trails is incredible. And uh, I have to say that like the trail community here on the East Coast, especially in the tri-state area, Jersey, New York, Connecticut, there are some phenomenal race organizations. I have great relationships with other local race directors. And I think that's really taken off in the last year or two where we've got great communication within uh, you know, with each other. And it's just, it's very cool to support each other. I mean, I guess on paper, we're technically competing, but it doesn't feel like that. You know, we sh runners, there's so much crossover between various organizations. And to be able to share a lot of same values and missions with other race series is, is really cool. And I, I love that aspect of it, getting to collaborate with other directors and support them. Yeah, and just the the loyalty that your race series, Sasquatch Trail Running, has seen is remarkable. I mean, you go on to the race results for any of these races and you click on a name and see, oh, what are the races have they done? This is the beauty of ultra sign up. And I really wish that like <laughs> road running has had kind of like the, the counterpart to this. It would be really fun to look people up and say, hey, what's going on with this person? Right. But over time, there's been so many disparate websites, whatever. I can get into that. Um, cool running had a chance. It died. Um, we ultra sad. <laughs> and you, you click feeling like anyone's name, no matter what speed or finishing place they were in. And it's like they've been to a, 
dozen Sasquad races. It really is um, remarkable. It's funny. I learned the names of all the trail parties, not from your website, but looking at like, hey, what other race did this person do? And seeing them all in there. Like I got to know all these again, not from your website. Certainly, I ch- I checked that out later, but right. just seeing how many people ran all of these races, seemingly all of them. Uh, so it does seem like you, uh, you and the volunteers have really developed um, not only this culture around the trail parties, but also this con- this connectivity between the athletes, where they see themselves as as part of the organization in a sense, but also. They love the fact that they probably get to see some of the same faces every month. Yeah, I, I love that. I'm glad you brought that up because that's a really neat thing, too, is to see runners who have been with us for, you know, since we started 2018. And then, you know, again, being the race director, you get you just have a different perspective, I think, as opposed to going to an event as a runner where I, I do get to see a lot of the same faces and you get to see uh Again, probably sounds cheesy, but you see these cool friendships develop between runners and, um, you know, they connect, maybe they meet at a race and then they're connecting offline with, you know, let's meet up for a training run or you go see, oh, they're traveling down to Georgia to do a race together and, or, you know, going on a run vacation. Um, so I think that's, that's a really cool thing is just seeing the community grow and support each other. Um, has been really neat to see over the last few years. I bet. Kim, thank you so much for coming on the show to sharing sharing about your personal life, your running, and your trail party directing. I really appreciate all the time and effort that you put into this, not only as someone who's in the running community, but also someone who did one of your trail parties. And it was truly an experience I'm never going to forget. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Matt. It was a pleasure to be here. All right. I know I just said we're going to we're gonna. <laughs> this is the end of the podcast, but I have to ask you one last question. I meant to ask you this. We just pressed stop recording. And then I asked you and now you give me this great answer. So I'm, I stopped you mid answer to then give me <laughs> so we can actually record this again. This is podcast bloopers. You think after 700 episodes, I'd have this down. People, you are wrong. I don't have this down. What does the future hold? For you as an athlete, we already know like the trail parties are on the website. We already know all of that. And I advise people to go check them out. But you as an athlete, what do you have coming up? Yeah, so I am working towards a big project in July. So July, I'm targeting 6th or 7th start date. I'm going to be completing the long path in New York. So the long path starts in Albany, New York, and it goes to Manhattan. So it crosses the George Washington Bridge and then finishes right in Manhattan. I'm going to go north to south. Wow. So what drew you to this? And what is like, give me some more background and some history about this, this route. Yeah. So the, the long path, it's 358 miles long right now, as, as it is officially the original plan, which eventually it's going to happen. It's going to go all the way up to the Adirondacks in New York. It's just a matter of land acquisition and transitioning the trail two trails rather than on road, sketchy road sections. So uh, eventually that's going to be the official start and end would be Manhattan all the way up to Adirondack Park. Um, but as it is right now, the official route is uh, John Thatcher State Park in just outside of Albany, and then it finishes in Manhattan. So uh, I got the idea from a, a running friend. His name's Ken Posner. He's with the New York, New Jersey Trail Conference. He did... At one time, he had the FKT for the long path. Uh, it's since been passed, but he, we were chatting in the fall, 
conversation like this. He said, you know, what's uh, what's coming next? You just did Tile 200. What's going to be next? And I, I didn't know. I said, yeah, I'm just soul searching and, you know, looking for something that calls to me. And I don't know if that's going to be a race or a run venture. And then he said, oh, well, have you heard of the long path? And I think you should consider it. And uh, so I did start doing some research and just was totally attracted to so many of the trails I love. I've been on a bunch of the trails. Um, the Catskills section is super gnarly. Uh, goes through the Palisades of New York, goes through Harriman State Park, uh, goes through Minnewaska uh, area, and uh, it's just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. It's tough, um, but a really unique trail experience that it goes from trails to road, and it covers a lot of miles. So, so will you be camping on the trail? What's it like logistically? How far in it are you in terms of like figuring out what you know, how you're going to manage this? Yeah, so I'm a spreadsheet geek. We got I got a spreadsheet going with a couple friends who are going to be helping me out crewing and pacing. Um, that's the biggest question mark is the the whole sleep situation. So I'm chatting with um, other folks who have done the long path. Uh, Ken's been extremely helpful. Another guy who has the FKT now, seven and a half days. Jeffrey Adams, we're chatting. So I'm just trying to get intel and advice on what's the best strategy. Talk with another guy, uh, Mark Vitalis, who did the Finger Lakes Trail in New York, which is like 580 miles. He did that oh over, <laughs> over two weeks. <laughs> we chatted the other night. And that's what's so cool about this whole trail running goofy, weird culture is like everyone's, you know, for the most part, everyone supports each other. And so I've had a ton of folks reaching out and we've just been chatting strategies. So I think it's going to be a mix. I think it'll be a mix of like having to sleep on trail in sections like the Catskills where it's very remote. There's only two road crossings in, I think it's almost 90 to 100 miles through the Catskills. You only pass two roads. So it's very remote, very rugged. Um, You do the escarpment trail, half of the devil's path. Um, And then, you know, I'm lucky. I've got great friends who are going to come out and crew. Uh, It's going to be the supported method of the FKT. So I think some nights we'll catch a hotel because the trail will go through t- through towns where we'll be able to sleep and shower, which will be nice because I'm sure I'll smell like a dead animal. So <laughs> it'll be nice to, you know, freshen up a little bit. That is great. Now, are you doing this in conjunction with anything? I know a lot of people, when they do endeavors like this, there's um, whether it's a fundraising thing or, or there's a connection to another cause. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. So I am I'm fundraising for two organizations. They're probably my two favorite nonprofits. Uh, the first one is New York, New Jersey Trail Conference. So they are the organization that maintains, builds, and protects over two thousand miles of trails in New York and New Jersey. So chances are, if you've been on a trail in either New York or New Jersey, the Trail Conference has been there maintaining, clearing trees, building, uh, building trail, and all that. So, and they maintain all 358 miles of the long path. So that was really important to me to give back to them and raise funds that will go right back into those trails. And then bigger than the trail is the other organization is a nonprofit that provides three months of therapy for anybody who needs it cost-free. And that's how I got plugged in with therapy last year was through this organization where um, I was making every excuse in the book of why I couldn't do therapy (laughs) and, oh, it's too much money or I can't find somebody, 
blah, blah, blah. Uh, and bigger than the trail, it took five minutes to fill out the short questionnaire. And then it was within, I think, a couple hours that they responded and said, you know, you've been matched with a therapist and here's the information, schedule your first appointment. Um, so wow. it just, yeah, it broke down all the barriers and what they're doing, I think is incredible. And to be able to raise funds so that more people can get help is really important. Kim, th- you are incredible. And this time I mean it. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This is going to be the end. This is going to be the end of the podcast. We're not going to press record anymore, but thank you so much for coming on the show. It has been an absolute pleasure getting to know you. And I'm sure that people are going to really appreciate all the knowledge that you're providing. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Kim, thank you so much for coming on the show. Always such a blast to talk to amazing people like her. I mean, how can you not get just so excited about doing these just interesting races in interesting places like uh, like she's putting on and the, just the culture of Sasquatch? It really is remarkable. Also, big shout outs to our sponsors today. Lagoon, I love these pillows so much. Go to lagoonsleep.com and save today. Also, Vacation Races. This, I love this company so much. They're, they're sponsoring a lot of the episodes this year, and for good reason. I just love what they're doing over at Vacation Races. Remember, Global Adventures, you can save 200 bucks by using code RAMBLING200. And if you're going to do a half or ultra that isn't sold out, use code RAMBLING15 to save 15% on that. Thank you so much for listening. And happy running.